Hey, and welcome to the Wednesday version. We had the first airing a little bit later than we normally do because we got home, well, pretty late from the game last night. And we had already had the overnight schedule set up, and the replay of the baseball game against Stetson was, well, longer than planned. Turned out to be a three-hour replay. Generally, we trimmed those down to two and a half hours, you know, just cutting out some of the innings where the Bulls don't score, that kind of thing. And there were definitely some innings where both teams didn't score last night, but the drama was so intense. And then teams started picking up one run an inning, basically starting with the eighth. When the Bulls tied it, Stetson took the lead in the bottom half. Bulls tied it in the top of the ninth, and they win it in the tenth. And both bottom nine and ten were pretty interesting. So we didn't really trim out much on that replay. And you don't have to sit around for three hours. We've got a 30-minute show here, actually a little bit under 30 minutes, and you'll get all the highlights here shortly. Why is it a little bit less than 30 minutes? Because on Wednesdays and Fridays, we end the hour with the conference outlook around the American. We'll also give you something to look for when it comes to this week's conference softball tournaments. We will be in Greenville, North Carolina tomorrow with the call on the first-round game for USF against East Carolina, scheduled for 5 o'clock, but there's about a 40% chance of rain in Greenville, so who knows, but when and if they play on Thursday, yours truly will be there. Also, we will be talking to several members of the team via Zoom today, Ken Erickson, Georgina Corrick, Madison Epperson, and we'll have some of those comments for you, of course, on tomorrow's program. We'll be flying with baseball, which was flying high last night. Well, actually, it was kind of a frustrating game for a while. If you listen back to the replay, you'll catch those moments but if you add it all up there was more moments of frustration for the other team as the Bulls win it four to three in ten innings and it was uh, not nearly as simple as that made it sound it was very much a grind for the first few innings the Bulls had a one nothing lead through five but not all shutouts through five innings are created equal some of them are due to dominant pitching some maybe you're getting out of some self-inflicted situations and that was the case last night Hunter Mink got the start was always designed to go two innings for the Bulls and frankly on his first start didn't look as sharp as you'd like did get a double play ball to end the bottom of the first inning which was quite nice especially with a guy on the other side with some speed Nick DiPonzio then Hunter really had some issues in the bottom of the second inning against a team that frankly was struggling big time this year in the strikeout to walk category They had struck out 25 times in a game against FSU. Granted, it was 12 innings. Also, 24 times in another game. You look at some of the strikeout-to-walk ratios on their team. 47 to 12, 46-7, 43-9, 28-9. Striking out basically 10 times per game, and yet they were getting walked last night. However, with the bases loaded and one out on a walk and a hit by pitch, along with the single. Two, three and two pitches with the bases loaded. Hunter Mink was able to get swings and misses on a slider, and he gets out of that jam. Meanwhile, the Bulls leave two on in both the first and the third. Really looked like they had something going on in the third on hits by Jared Eaton and Carmine Lane. But their starter, the kid from Newsom, who did great, Cole Stallings, gets Marcus Brodell and Nelly Rivera to strike out. And the Hatters load up the bases, all on walks in the third by Austin Grouse. It really looked like that was going to be it for him. They left him in to try and face two more guys, and he got out of that. So I think he's going fastball here on three and two. Here's the pitch. Bounced slowly to shortstop. Tough play for Gonzalez, and he makes it. That was a tricky hop, but Gonzalez charged it. And for a second time tonight, Stetson leaves the bases loaded. 
The Bulls and Hatters have had their chances. <laughs> you just heard the PA guys say once again, the bases left jammed. You can sense a little frustration on their side. No doubt about that. Again, this is the team that came in 7-17 seven and 17 in conference, and the offense in conference play, 204 is a batting average. With that in mind, that's their most recent history. In Tuesday night games, as we told you on yesterday's show, they beat Florida State last week. Essentially, you had guys that went 0 for 11 against UNF who had picked up big stats against FSU and Miami the last two midweeks when they won both of those games. And as we talked about on the broadcast last night, this game was important. They have already been very unique how the A-Sun is doing it, eliminated from getting an automatic spot in the conference tournament, and rightfully so. They're last place in their division. What they do is they have two six-team divisions in the A-Sun, and the one with the Florida teams, Liberty, and Kennesaw State is the stronger division. But the top three in each advance automatically to the conference tournament, and then the next two spots, the final two spots, are given to the next best teams, sheerly based on RPI, which actually is different, but it makes sense. If you're not going to play anybody in the opposing division, you can't just go top four from each. What if one division is way stronger than the other? And that's the case here. So it is actually going to go to RPI. And that's why these wins in midweek have kind of been Stetson's lifeline to extend their season. With that in mind, they were probably pressing a little bit last night. And they were behind. And that's another stat. They're a little bit below 500. And only three of their 22 wins have been in games where they've been behind. Yes, only three times had the Hatters won all season when they were behind at any point. Of course, you can come back but then lose the lead again. And, well, that's what happened last night because they were behind in the top of the fourth. Nick Gonzalez, who has been outstanding, singles to get things going. Then a bunt by Daniel Cantu that was misplayed by Stallings and thrown away had runners on the corners. But we'd been here before. And then when Ben Rosenblum struck out swinging, he had failed to connect on a hit and run earlier in the game. You didn't get a good feeling. Finally, you just got a good enough swing to take the lead. Two and one. Oh, that ball has gotten underneath. Should be deep enough. Hill couldn't see it at first. Makes the catch. Gonzalez with the tag. Decent throw, but the Bulls will score. And boy, Cantu will be thrown out. That is poor base running. Gonzalez definitely came across before the out was made at second base. But hey, listen. Everything ended up, you will take any kind of run the way it was looking here tonight. Probably should have the name of the guy swinging the bat in that highlight, Jackson Mayo. It was the only run allowed by Cole Stallings. It was unearned. He had been their Sunday starter, but they had lost his last four starts. Gave up eight a couple of times back, but did the trick against the Bulls. And he was in line to win the game because Stetson scored two runs in the bottom of the sixth. They finally came through. It was one of their more reliable veterans, Kyle Ball, with a single against Jack Siebert. And their freshman, Johan Desaro, doubles deep to right field. Bad throw back into the infield by Daniel Cantu. There was no cutoff, man. They actually were going to hold Ball at third, but instead it was a tie game. And then their catcher, Chris Bregent, doubles on a curveball. Both curveballs by Siebert did him in. That was the end of his day. But Tanner Mink did a great job. He didn't get a decision in this game, but he kept it 2-1. to one with a ground out and a couple of strikeouts to end the six. Bulls then left the bases loaded in the top of the seventh against Dominic Stagliano, who has been great out of the pen, but Rosenblum and Mayo singled to start the seventh. Then he got a strikeout of Joaquin Monke, who was hoping to bunt at first. Jared Eaton golfed one down the left field line, almost dropped in, but didn't. 
After a walk to Carmine Lane had the bases loaded, Marcus Brodell grounds out, and so Stetson had just taken the lead. They keep the Bulls with the bases loaded for the first time, and so they've got the momentum. But then Tanner Mink, the first and only 1-2-3 inning, again with two more strikeouts, he caved four. That was big. And next time up, the Bulls would tie the score. They're 0 for 4 in it. Gonzalez rips that ball. That should get by the center fielder. Oh, he misses it. What an effort. Gonzalez digging for two. Will get in with a double, but what an effort by Hill. I mean, that had gap written all over it. Hill basically kept it from going into the gap, but a one-out double, and he flew through the air and got good glove on it. Actually, just the top of the glove, but what an effort. Still a chance here for the Bulls, and Cantu drills it through the right side of the infield. The new defensive guy is out there, and they're going to test his arm. That's a good throw, and safe! He gets around the throw! The Bulls tie the score! Daniel Cantu with an RBI single, and we are tied. That was a good throw by Keel. The ball was hit so hard that Gonzalez was not even at third base by the time that the ball was fielded. Where Cantu was coming off a hitless weekend, boy, Gonzalez has been hitting. Try 394 over his last 10 games. And again, this was a good thrower on the other side that the Bulls, well, ended up getting six hits against. Unfortunately, they could not take the lead. They had a couple of chances. They brought Sonny Rayo in to pinch hit as a lefty going against a righty. I thought that might have been the Drew Brutcher spot in the number nine spot. They pinch hit for Joaquin Monquet. And uh, Brutcher was on the trip, but I guess maybe not yet. He could be back this weekend at some point in some capacity against East Carolina. So we go to the bottom of the eighth, and Nolan Hootie just got the first career save against UCF, gives up a leadoff single. However, two outs. Runner still at first base. Everything's fine. And you're looking at their number nine guy, Andrew Estrella, their shortstop, who is, well, the possessor of their worst strikeout-to-walk ratio on the team and he walks on a pitch that wasn't even close to the zone. Turn it back to the top of the order. Didn't get a good feeling. Was right, unfortunately. Taking his time between pitches, let me tell you, is Hootie. Finally takes a breath, bends down, pops back up. Another one and two pitch. Here it is. Fastball line to left field. On a line, there's a chance for a play here for Mayo. They're going to send the runner. Not a good throw. And the Hatters have the lead. We try to challenge him again. And we warned you. Unfortunately, we were right. And the Hatters lead it, 3-2. to two. And you can't help but notice, again, that they had last Tuesday beat Florida State. Week before, Miami. Both games weren't close. This was close. The only thing that made you think they had a chance, well, the Bulls took Stetson four out of five last year, including a couple of nail biters. And again, that stat where the Hatters had only won three games all year when they were behind at any point. Top of the ninth, Carmine Lane with one out. Pulls a single, didn't get all of it, but just enough to get down, and the Bulls extend the game. Three and one, meanwhile to Brodell. Pitch to hit here, and he slices it down the left field line. They're gonna be able to get to it, DePonzio to keep Lane at third, but that will be a double for Brodell, and the Bulls have something going here in the ninth. Nelson Rivera, who is 0 for today, struck out his first two times up, looking to give the Bulls the lead. Lane third, but out second. That ball is drilled, should tie the score. We're gonna have a play at the plate. Hill makes the catch, catch. Lane with a good jump, decent throw, and he's safe. Wow, Lane hustled down the line. They are going to check and see if he left early. If you're listening, you heard me be just a little nervous that maybe he did leave early. I was right there, I saw the whole thing. He started to move. But his foot was still on the bag. They reviewed it. 
couldn't help but think, well, that would be a terrible way to be walked off, as it were. But it turns out to be a tying sacrifice fly. They actually walked Nick Gonzalez intentionally to get to Daniel Cantu, who struck out on a full count pitch. So the score's tied going to the bottom of the ninth. Here comes Joey Vellini coming off his first career win, relieving Nolan Hootie, who'd come off his first career save. Vellini would get the win, but wasn't easy, of course. After getting two quick outs, gives up a single to Connor Keel, who had just entered as their third right fielder because the first two guys were very unproductive. The starter, Brandon Hilton, struck out twice, and the guy they brought in, Juan Correa, his first pitch swinging. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Hits right into a double play. There was a lot that happened in this game. We can't give you all the highlights. Then a full count walk. So Valini had some work to do to prevent a walk off on the other side. Valini on two and two now to Desaro. Runners stay put. Curveball swung on a missed strike three. And Valini lets out a yell. That is a big pitch right there in a big spot. And we go to the 10th, tied at three. Stetson had just won a 10-inning game on Sunday, so they were pretty good in extra innings. The Bulls did not have an extra inning win all year, but you couldn't tell it because they started off pretty well in the top of the 10th. Jackson Mayo lines a double. He had a big game down the left field line. Remember, he only played Friday against UCF. He had some issues in the outfield, and so he was back into the lineup with full force. They were facing a lefty even, so first pitch swinging against Jonathan Gonzalez. That was impressive. Then with the lefty in the ninth spot up, Sonny Rayo, who had earlier pinch hit. Here comes counter Jacobs Guichard. Runs the count full, does advance the runner, but with the ground out, there's two away. Well, turns out the runner being at third base came in handy on this play. So Jared Eaton's got to come through against a lefty. Fastball chopper over the glove of the pitcher. There could be a safe play, and it's bobbled by the second baseman. The Bulls take the lead. I think Eaton was going to get there anyway, but regardless, it is four to three. Eaton in his last seven games is batting 355. That's 11 hits in seven games with seven RBI. We mentioned how it was Hootie's first save, Valini's first win, and now Eaton with two straight game-winning RBI. But it was not going to be Nolan Hootie finishing the job. It was going to be Orion Kirkring in the bottom of the 10th. And naturally, the guy who had been struggling, the number nine hitter, Australia, with a below 200 average, doubles with one away. But a strikeout to their top hitter, Hill, on a curveball on the outside corner and a dandy had the Bulls one out away. Now he tried an 0-2 slider that turned into a pass ball. And then... Camden Traficante runs the count full. So, again, wasn't easy last night, but Kirk finishes the job. Now, you can't really afford to throw that slider. What if it gets away with the runner on third? Obviously, is the change. Does he try and go to that curveball? Here in the bottom of the tent, three and two pitch. There it is, called strike three. And the Bulls win. What a time to dial up that dandy. That runner at third base became the 15th stranded runner of the night. Four stats and Bulls left 13 on themselves, but came up clutch once again. Jared Eaton, Captain Clutch, three hits. Two each for Lane, Gonzalez, Cantu, and Mayo. And the win goes to Vellini, who just threw that bottom of the ninth, did a nice job of getting that K to end it. Kirkering gets his third save. So the Bulls have now won three games in a row. And, oh, incidentally, take the series lead advantage over Stetson, 90-89. to 89. It was dead on, 89 apiece going into last night. It took extras to decide it. They will go to Greenville, North Carolina, 
tomorrow, and we'll have the games for you Friday through Sunday. We are pretty sure that the softball team is going to make the NCAA tournament, especially considering that last year we were pretty sure they weren't. Their RPI was in the 50s. They had lost in the semifinals to UCF after being defeated three out of four by the Knights. They really didn't have any marquee wins outside of their series against Wichita State. Well, this year has been different. They have wins over Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, and Michigan, all top 10 teams, and they took the series from Wichita still. Things to keep an eye on, should the Bulls slip up, and we're not planning on it, but should they slip up in the conference tournament first round tomorrow against East Carolina, then you might just get a little nervous. Their RPI would probably drop into the lower 40s as of today. It's 39. So what can happen, and this is something that you probably know if you're a college basketball fan, you're hoping if you're a bubble team for conference tournaments elsewhere in sort of the lower to mid leagues to be won by the teams that would be going in as at-larges. Really, there are only two examples of those, and that's a good thing. And again, if the Bulls were to lose is only why this is relevant. You would be nervous a little bit, but especially if two particular tournaments both don't go to the favorites. And keep an eye on the Atlantic Sun, the A-Sun taking place in Jacksonville, and the Sun Belt Conference taking place in Mobile, Alabama. Because really, those are the only two leagues. Well, there's one strange exception. Outside of the Power Five leagues, the American is the sixth best conference. There are only three teams not from one of the top six conferences that are ahead of the Bulls. Liberty is firmly in the NCAA tournament no matter what happens, but you still want the Flames to win the A-Sun. They're ranked 31st. They have some great non-conference wins. They will begin play tomorrow in a double elimination format, and that's a good thing, so less likelihood of a fluke ending their tournament run. The next best ranked teams in that league are in the 70s, so again, Liberty is the one you want to win there. And speaking of the A-Sun, Tuesday when the Bulls play Stetson in baseball, we'll get into their conference tournament format for baseball. It is out there, but we're worried about softball right now. The other one to keep an eye on is the Sun Belt, as I mentioned, where the top seed is Louisiana, ranked 27th in the RPI. Then it drops off to the 50s with Texas State and South Alabama. Those are two teams that could be fringe bubble teams, but also could certainly threaten Louisiana, which is the one you want to win the Sun Belt Conference Tournament. The Cajuns play today. And again, maybe none of this matters. Maybe the Bulls are in no matter what happens. But just to cover your bases, your Liberty and Louisiana fans. The quirky third example, I'll give you anyway, it's Charlotte. Because the 49ers are ranked 32nd in the RPI due to their overall schedule. But they're 7th in the Conference USA. They were right in the middle of the pack. So I'm going to guess they don't get an at-large. But who knows? And basically all of the major projections have the Bulls as the third-seeded team in the regional in Tallahassee. Wouldn't be surprised if the Tallahassee and Gainesville regionals are put against each other, by the way. So that those teams could play in the Super Regional. But don't be shocked if it's... On Selection Day, the Bulls being announced as headed to Tallahassee and their first opponent being an SEC team, maybe a Mississippi State, for example. We'll talk to Ken Erickson and a couple of his standout players today and have that audio for you tomorrow. And again, tomorrow they'll be playing, and we'll be there on the microphone in Greenville, North Carolina. Finally said there was a pretty cool event that was announced. The Sports Club of Tampa's Hall of Fame induction ceremonies will be June 8th at the Pepin Hospitality Center, and two USF coaches will be part of their new class, which also includes Brad Johnson, Monty Kiffin, Darren Poopa, and Gail Searins. Jose Fernandez and Allison Jolly, a course of women's basketball and sailing. You actually can attend this Hall of Fame induction banquet. Those are probably going to be some pretty good speeches. Head to GoUSFBulls.com. 
for the full details on that. We'll do tomorrow's show in Tampa before we head to Greenville, and then we'll be on the air tomorrow afternoon from said city for softball in the AAC tournament. This has been Bulls Beat for Wednesday. I'm Derek Sharp. You've been listening to Bulls Beat on Unlimited Unloaded.